the NIV. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygians and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of the Lord. You. you may be seated. The kids are invited to kids' church with Kelly today. Then on Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's how this story begins for us today. This uh, day is the day of Pentecost in which we celebrate the, the gift of the Spirit to the church, the way that the Spirit comes upon the church. There are people who talk about um, Pentecost Sunday as, as the day of the birth of the church, which is both somewhat correct and somewhat uh, wrong in that, that the church, the early church um, tried to at least exist um, parallel with the synagogue, parallel with uh, the people's 
previous gathering, which was with Israel. And so, you know, it's, it's this rejoining of that. Something new happens in Pentecost with this gift of the Spirit, but it's not exactly that they all say, hey, let's jump ship and start a church. Um, and so we think about that a lot in America. <laughs> How hard could it be? Let's jump, uh, jump ship and start a church. Um, it's much harder than you think. Um, but needless to say that that's sort of what we come to together today. And, and one of the things we do at Defiance Church is we try to live into the church calendar, the story of the church year, is that we have this Advent season in which we await the birth of Christ, in which we sort of uh, place ourselves in Israel's place and hope and longing of what God is going to do. And we wait the incarnation in that same place. Then we have a Christmas season in which we walk um, and celebrate that season in which Christ is with us, Emmanuel, God with us, has arrived. We walk into Epiphany, which takes us from um, uh, the early parts of Jesus' ministry and the revealings and the healings and the stories that happen there, to Lent, which we walk then that journey to the cross with Jesus, and then that Easter good news, that joyous time in which Easter is proclaimed that he is risen. Um, he's risen indeed, that we have that time. And so we sit into the story. And I always try to point out that when we sit into the story, it helps us know and live the story. We might want to jump to different parts of it, but by living and reenacting it, we begin to make the story our own in its own revelation, in its own way. So this is that, that Sunday of Pentecost, that, that 50 days after Easter that we come and celebrate the gift of the Spirit, the same way that they were all together in one place and received the Spirit as well. Um, and so we sit in that place. Now the next Sunday is Trinity Sunday. Um, which gets this bad idea that, like, that's the one day we talk about the Trinity. Um, my hope, and we'll talk about it next Sunday, is every Sunday we're in the Trinity. But it's this Sunday, after the Spirit comes, that we're able to say um, structurally that we've seen God work as the Father. We've seen God work through the Son. And after Pentecost, we now see how God works through this third member, the Spirit. And so we have a Sunday in which we sort of... Um, Cherish the language around that. Cherish the idea that God has revealed himself as three in one to us. We accept that good news on that day. Um, so that's next Sunday. Um, and then we enter into the glorious season that the church, in all its wisdom, one of the longest seasons, has called ordinary time, which is such a just ordinary time. We put a lot of effort into that one. Um, or uh, in some calendars, you'll see it called the season after Pentecost. So technically correct, just the season after Pentecost. The past, uh, my first five years, we did the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. We rotated last year to the wisdom literature. So uh, last year we did Proverbs. This summer, upcoming, is Ecclesiastes. Um, uh, which Luther, we'll get to that, I'm sure, but Luther said will uh, dissuade you from all sentimentality with religion, which to me sounds like good news, but to other people it sounds like why, why you got to be that way. Um, but that's what's coming uh, going forward. But today we um, center on Pentecost, which is, is captured in, in the third article of the creed. Now we say um, during most of the church year, the Apostles' Creed, um, which says simply, I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, but it's just that one. Jesus gets the bulk of the creed, largely because of the birth of the creed was working out who Jesus was and what that means. And then uh, the Father gets uh, the creator, the almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. But the Spirit, we get to the Spirit, and it's, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's that third section that gets simple on that. Um, and that's it's a profound statement as well, because the three other I believes have been preceded by the Father and the Son. And now we say, I believe in the Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit as, as this third part of this thing. Now, while the Apostles' Creed doesn't enumerate that very deeply, to put the I believe in front of it instructs us in some way that there is something more here than, than um, uh, a litany of descriptions. It starts a new description. It starts a new character in the creed. It's here that, that perhaps even um, we can think about how the first article of the creed is, is predominantly on God. I believe in God the Father. The second article of the creed is on the God-man. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, that one who comes to us as the God-man. When we say we believe in the Spirit, it's perhaps, and this is in the words of, uh, of Karl Barth, but others, is that we enter into the creed as the Spirit is that which falls on us. The Spirit is that which animates the Christian. The Spirit is that which makes us alive to God. It's that the Spirit here becomes the part where we can have our freedom expressed within the creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit is perhaps where, where humanity comes to its place in the creed. We are those bound up in the Spirit, and hence, forced from there, it's I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, I believe in these other things that we say that um, the life everlasting that concern us more than the first two articles of the creed. Um, this, this Sunday then sort of rounds out what we previously have been doing, this series on the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, those three sort of enemies of the Christian soul. I meant to say it last week, the last Sunday of Easter season, which is the greatest enemy of the Christian soul is death, and that is the last one that Christ defeats. Um, uh, that's what we celebrate in Easter season, and it's this one, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that pull us down. But as... as um, I'm trying to think of how I can blame myself creatively. Um, we <laughs> don't, I don't live as three-dimensionally as perhaps I could in remembering the Spirit when we talked about those battles. Um, you know, we, we can go, oh, believe more, practice these things, do these things, which aren't native to me, but I do in that series. But, but you forget that it's the Spirit that enables and gives us that life inability to do it. That if we are going to go forth into that place, it's because in the unique way that the Spirit is among us. The Spirit is, if we are going to have any success in this, these three things that want to distort us as we follow God, it will be on reliance on the Spirit as well. Um, like I said, it's, it's my fault that perhaps that wasn't as obvious as it should be. Um, they, they, they do call the Spirit the forgotten member of the Trinity. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that. Um, we talk a lot about the Father, we talk a lot about the Son, and then, and then not so much about the Spirit. And then we have groups of Christians who major in the Spirit, but less so in the other two, too. And so we're always trying to, to become whole in this approach. Um, and, and we all have, I think, our own blind spots in that. Um, 
But that, that brings us to that day of Pentecost. Now, before we start on the sermon, there's a word I like to, to go over every year on Pentecost, which is this word circumambient. Um, circum, circumambient. This uh, I learned um, uh, in my first pastorate, but I was thinking, and it came from somebody else, but thinking about the ways in which the Spirit interacts with us. The Spirit is inside of me, the Spirit is active in the world. The Spirit comes when the church is gathered. The Spirit is near to us. The Spirit acts, and then the Old Testament, various different ways as well. And so the word um, that David Kelsey used to describe the way the Spirit acts is circumambient, which means all-encompassing, all-around surrounding. Is the Spirit inside of you? Yes. Is the Spirit active outside of you? Yes. Is the Spirit in this place in which we come together, in which it is both present in us and outside of us? Yes. Circumambient is this word that I, I love every year to come to because I think it helps us name that that the Spirit is active in more ways than we can think. So often it becomes this question of identifying my own journey with the Spirit and not seeing the ways in which the Spirit is sort of this encompassing thing, this greater thing, this larger thing. And this is where perhaps it's worth remembering that the, the Greek words and the Hebrew words for Spirit also correspond with that of breath and wind. Breath and wind are inside of us. They're also outside of us. They also um, uh, are animating forces, right? You blow on something. You, the wind blows. This, that they become animating forces in the world. And so on Pentecost, there's this great wind that fills the place where the disciples are gathered. That the, the Spirit acts circumambiently in our midst. The Spirit works in this way. But I want to go back just a second in, in Luke's story in Acts. Um, the Spirit receives perhaps most of its attention in Luke and Acts um, in, in the ways that I think most of us are familiar with it. Paul has his own understanding of the Spirit, but the way in which we think of full of the Spirit, gifted with the Spirit. And so earlier in the book of Acts, the first chapter, they were looking intently into the sky as he was going up. Suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This is this first instance in which Jesus ascends into heaven. Ascension day was uh, about 10 days ago, but the, in which Jesus ascends. And so what we have after Jesus has come, lived his life, taught these people about the kingdom and new creation is what has happened is he has, uh, they've spent about uh, 50 days, 50 days in um, Jerusalem, sort of hearing from him again, being taught as the risen one about what he's done. But Jesus is telling them of this time that will come also when he will ascend and the Spirit will come upon them and push them out into mission. And this time, there's about 120 disciples, too, that are receiving this teaching and spending time. And so when he sends these two men dressed in white, angels probably, say to the men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at the sky? Which I think is an important question for us. Why do we often stand looking at the sky, pondering that, rather than looking for where the Spirit, which happens later in Luke or in Acts, but comes and empowers us to go out in mission to reach the ends of the earth. And when I say mission, I think a lot of people are like, you mean evangelism. Yes, I also mean um, God's mission of repair of the world. 
God's mission of bringing the truth of what he's done, his truth shines forth in the world that is that new creation, that day that is to come, that fullness of time. So we don't just go forth to make the name known, although we do go forth to do that. We also go forth to make the world known that Christ has taught us about and revealed to us. We go forth in that mission. So the disciples spend this 50 days, and when the Spirit comes, then they are empowered and pushed out. How are we caught up looking at the sky and empowered and pushed out? Now, there's been a bad side in which this has sort of, I think, come late into the modern world, at least among some of my friends, is that if you weren't, there were missionaries and then there were normal Christians. Um, And the highest calling, for some reason, was a missionary. I didn't grow up in this world, so I'm working this out. Um, But, uh, and so they would always say, well, you know, I'm not a missionary. I'm not a missionary. And one, uh, there's a sense in which we all are, which is one easy way out of that. We're all called into missionary, being a missionary. But there's another sense in which we're all called into the witnessing to what the reign of God is. There's not just missionaries and non-missionaries. We're all caught up in this thing that has been revealed to us from what Christ has done. There's no life called and empowered by the Spirit that isn't drawn into that mystery, that isn't drawn into living in that way. And there is no higher or lower calling in that way either. And so, you know, this is the book of Acts, which tells the story of Jesus's continuing body with his disciples through this, and Paul's journeys as a missionary too, that becomes this sort of normative archetype that we use, but often we forget that like he's writing to the churches in Galatia. He's writing to the churches in Ephesus. He's taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Not everybody in the New Testament goes somewhere. Many of them stay. And many of them are people who receive instruction and grow into who Christ has formed them to be. There's no other place they're going. This is a side note. The, why, why we ordain people. Uh, when I was getting ordained, um, the woman who spoke at my ordination said that the one thing you'll learn about math, Matt is that he asks good questions. Um, and the question I posed to her as she was going to speak at my ordination, I said, to Joanne, uh, Joanne, um, what am I agreeing to in my ordination that I didn't already agree to in my baptism? Um, there is nothing that we add on to that baptismal sort of thing for Protestants, that we've already been called into ministry and instruction and teaching. We've already been called into being his witnesses to the end of the earth. We've already been called into that. And that all came not in some special ordination, which I view as sub to my baptism. Actually, I did it because that's what we do more than I was like, eh, yes, I need to get this done. Um, it was like, I'll play your game. Um, just describes a lot of the problems I have in life. But... Um, <laughs> but that our baptism is that place in which we're called into the renewed image of humanity. There's nothing you do after that that adds on to it. So too for the missionary. I'm going to go out to the mission field. What are they doing that they didn't already agree to in their baptism? Our baptism is what captures that for us, and it's in our baptism that we receive the Spirit in the New Testament's complicated on this. Most likely, 
in our baptism that we receive the Spirit as well. I think it's worth um, uh, keeping it that way. Um, this Sunday, the lectionary, which is the prescribed readings um, for the days, we follow the lectionary on and off here at Defiance Church. And so these are readings that um, a large half of the church would use uh, Catholics, Episcopalians, Lutherans, Presbyterians, sometimes us, um, for the day. But they, they pulled together interesting texts. Now, if you think about like, how meaning happens, we have the story of, of Acts, right? And the story of Acts 2 and Pentecost stands all on its own, right? But if you put another story next to it, something else begins to appear. What are the connections between how the Spirit is active in Pentecost and what is the connection between how the Spirit is active in the Valley of Dry Bones, that story from Elijah that Jude read from us, um, uh, Ezekiel um, that uh, uh, Jude read for us? How does that connection draw more meaning? The lectionary, one year I want to do this, puts uh, the, the Tower of Babel, God confusing the languages, next to Acts 2 as well that they hear in one language. And ponder that for a little bit. But today, we have the Valley of Dry Bones. And the Spirit takes the prophet up, um, and he brings him to this valley, and, and the Spirit is what brings him there. And he sees this Valley of Bones. Most of the previous chapters in the book of Ezekiel have been about judgment about what Israel's forgotten, about what the nations have forgotten. And around chapter, I think, uh, 36, the previous chapter to this, there's some light that begins to break in. But first, the Spirit must lead Ezekiel to the place of desolation, to the place of dry bones. Now this is, I always try to remember that these are both individualized truths that we can ponder. The Spirit brings us to our own graveyards in ourselves. And yet also the Spirit brings us to the graveyards that we see in the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil series, uh, the way that we thought about the challenges we face, it's easy to see the church in a position of dry bones. What are we going to do? All our capabilities, all our strategies, all these things have been found challenging in the modern world, have been found limited. And notice the question that I asked, what are we going to do? But perhaps it's time for ourselves and for the church to consider that it is but dry bones. And as we're drawn out to witness this, by the Spirit, it's the breath that is prophesied back into us that brings us to life. Our help, and this is probably a fundamental truth of Christianity, normally, most likely, almost always, doesn't come from the inside. It comes from something outside of us. The uh, biblical scholar, um, Mary Meyer Thompson, that Fuller did a thing where everybody had to pick the gospel, uh, define the gospel in a phrase, and then give a lecture on it. And the phrase that she chose is, is that God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves is how she defined the gospel. 
if we are individually and corporately sometimes or often in the place of dry bones, it's for us to receive the Spirit from outside of us, to receive the breath, to receive new life from the God who speaks that into us. Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel, the church, your life. They say our bones are dried up and our cope is gone and we are cut off. The word of hopelessness. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to that promised land, the land of Israel. Then, you my people, you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that the Lord I have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. We receive the spirit as we are pulled up from our own graves. And it's there that we know that God is the Lord as we're rescued from that. Jumping forward back again to Acts, um, this phrase, uh, I want to say just a little bit about how the Spirit works for us today. Um, in the King James, it's always good when I pull out the King James, fascinating, everybody's excited. I can feel the energy in the room when I said King James. Um, <laughs> thanks, Shelby. Um, uh, Peter says that when he's speaking about what the prophet Joel says, he says, this is that day. This is that day. What happens for us as we receive the Spirit, when we're full of the Spirit, is we're able to see that these are the days in which God has promised that this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. It's, it's that the veil, I think, is pulled back on reality and we're able to see what actually is going on. Jonathan sang for us um, Mary's song. Um, uh, uh, why can't I? My soul is filled with joy. And it's, it's at that scene, I had forgotten, I got my details messed up. I was telling Jonathan this morning, but, but Mary uh, has had the Holy Spirit come over her to conceive, and she goes and sees Elizabeth, and Elizabeth full of the Spirit. This is something worth tracking as you read your Bible. Elizabeth full of the Spirit is able to see, who am I that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Full of the Spirit, she's able to see what's actually happening. Now, Mary, I thought it said she was full of the Spirit as well. It doesn't, although I think it's worth that it's implied with Elizabeth's full of the Spirit speaking and that Mary has been overcome by the Spirit, as it was said in Luke right before that. But point being is Mary, to her song, is able to see what reality is meant to be, that God will, will overturn things, that the reality of what's coming is this. And so it's often that I try to, to remind us that the Spirit, while it works in sign and wonders, is often, and sign and wonders too, are there to point towards that final reality. Healing someone, healings point to that final reality in which disease and death shall be no more. Speaking in tongues and being able to hear in your own language points to that great diversity of that day when every tribe, tongue, and nation shall gather together. 
The Spirit's fullness for us is meant to give us vision to see what the world's meant to be, to be drawn into that path and in that way, to enact in that way. So this is that. It's an important phrase because when we see God's Spirit at work in the world, we should be able to say this is that which God has promised to us. This is that revelation of that fullness which God will bring to the whole world on that day. This is the place of revelation, the day, the dawn of God's new creation again. This is that. Ezekiel's vision is another, um, uh, this is that. Um, uh, Stephen's full of the Spirit as he forgives the people about to stone him says he's full of the Spirit. It's a crucial story in the book of Acts because it turns Paul's life around too, is that this is that. This is that day, I think, is an important sort of thing for us to hang on to in that, that way. Why, why tongues and why fire is just a quick note I want to make before um, we end. I've got one more, two more quotes. And... Yeah, so the, the, why, why tongues and why fire? Tongues, um, Pentecost is, it says on the day of Pentecost, and when I grew up knowing the story, I was like, well, it's so weird that they were all celebrating Pentecost because the Spirit hadn't come yet. Um, but Pentecost is a, is a day in the Jewish calendar um, that they were all coming together for that. Um, I always thought, like, Pentecost is our holiday. Um, but, it, but it's actually, they're coming back to Jerusalem for one of their festivals that brings Jews from all over. This festival is normally, or has, has, was historically sort of linked to harvest, um, this sort of fullness thing. And you can see um, at the end of Acts 2, where there's 3,000, I think 3,000 souls are added to the church that day. Um, there's a harvest. The harvest metaphor reigns true, too. But the rabbis have also connected Pentecost at this time to the gift of the law. And there was a tradition that said the law as it was given was given in all languages for all people. It's the Jews who particularly live it, but that it was spoken in such a way that all people could hear it. So as the Spirit comes at Pentecost on this day in which they're marking the way in which the law was given to the people of God, it's now that we're able to hear again and speak in this way. That we're able to sort of move. Um, in, and, and so the language barriers overcome there. Uh, and I love the ways in which the language barriers overcome. This is worth noting that the church, in its wisdom, in its good moments, has always valued diversity, because what happens is that people hear in their own language. Not one universal language overcomes all of the languages. Not everybody becomes one ethnicity, but each one hears in their own language. That this God values this in this way. And if you want to put uh, Babel next to it, it's interesting that, that the solution to Babel is not undoing Babel back to one language. Um, uh, another way, fire, then, why tongues of fire? Um, the, it's the, uh, the, the fire that fills the temple at, at that day in which the Jews are marking at this time. But there are individual fires that rest on, on sort of each individual um, 
this new temple that God is forming isn't going to be just one person, one place, but it's going to be the people of God active and moving throughout the world that once resided in one place now resides individually on people, and they're empowered to go forth in that. Um, why fire and why tongues? Um, the quote on the back of the bulletin today, um, the, the question that I want to end with an answer in two ways um, is, uh, what are we fold with, filled with? What are we full of? The Spirit overcomes, falls on, all these different ways. And part of that challenge of the world, the flesh, and the devil series was we are full of so much today. I think the greatest challenge that came out of it for me was to turn things off and to sit in silence. I'd love to say that, that I'm working up to adoration and, and contemplating the beauties of the triune God's life and this, that, and the other, but it's a big enough challenge just to turn everything off, not to reach for your phone, the TV, the radio, music, and, and, and then to ask, what can you be formed into that's not all the noise of the world? which is constant and drawings on endlessly. But Cyril of Jerusalem, talking about drunkenness, and, and I think he's uh, thinking of Paul's too, is that don't be filled with wine, but rather be filled. You are going to be filled with something. Content is going to come into your space. Which content, which spirit, which thing? And Ananias and Sapphira later have this too, is that they claim they want to be filled with the spirit, but they are filled with... Uh, Satan or the devil, I can't remember which one it is. Like, we are being filled with things. But Cyril says, they are drunken with a sober drunkenness, deadly to sin and life-giving to the heart. They are drunk, but with a sober drunkenness, deadly to sin and life-giving to height, a drunkenness contrary to that of the body. For this last causes forgetfulness even what is known, but that bestows the knowledge of what was even not known that this drunkenness of the Spirit bestows the knowledge of what is not known. This is that. And so we are drawn into this mystery, this, this way. Um, yeah, to close, I'll skip the, the last quote. Uh, to close, what I want to do is just read the rest of that Pentecost sermon for us. Um, and what the people hear in that day is that they're cut to the hearts. And they ask what they can do. Repent and baptize and believe the gospel. And so too, I'll read the end of that. Um, and we'll ask, we'll ask to be cut to the hearts as well, to be renewed with that Pentecost vision. Um, I do think one thing worth noting is that he says that you crucified Jesus. Um, in a world in which nobody wants to be guilty, Peter says, you're all guilty. Um, we all are that way. Um, and I think that's an important word for us today, is, is you crucify Jesus. You betray. You're broken. You're this way. There's hope out of that. But if we think this isn't a truth or reality that touches all of us, you should listen again. By the way, I gave Carla all the hard words. Thanks, Carla. 
Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was made a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath, on oath that he, he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke to the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God, who has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all for whom all the Lord our God will call. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, you have called us as your people. You have made a people where there was no people. And so you have blessed us with your spirit, that it may be an animating force in our lives, that it may give us the vision to see how you are active in the world, to be the people who can go forth and proclaim, this is that day. This is you renewing your church, knitting bones back together, bringing life to where there was death, opening graves, and bringing us out into life. God, we pray that we too may be drawn into the life of your Spirit, who guides us into the life of your Son, to the praise of your holy name. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.